You're listening to the River City Church Podcast. Our desire is that you know Jesus, experience freedom, find community, and discover purpose. For more information, check us out on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co. Today we're going to finish our series on mindsets that matter. I told you I continue this into December. Uh, I, I gave you last week, we talked about I have a healer, uh, which is really just having a restoration mindset. We have a God that heals us, not only physically, but emotionally and spiritually in every area of our life. And throughout this series from November into now, we've looked at the names of God and how the names of God in the Old Testament reveal God's nature. He's Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our wholeness or our peace. He's Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that heals. He's El Shaddai, the all-sufficient God. He's, he's the holy God, the holy one of Israel. We talked about week one, that he's an uncommon God. He's set apart. He's holy. Today we're going to look at, as we conclude this series, what I feel like is uh, my favorite part of this series already, and I'm excited to share this word with you today, so I'm glad you're here. Uh, thank you for, listen, we don't ever take it for granted that you make time to be here. I know for some of you, you had to get your kids ready. You, it, it was, you, just, you had to take an extra cup of coffee just to get, get up this morning. That's all right. Uh, that's, that's, we, we know, but I'm telling you today, I believe that God's going to impact your life. And here's what we want to talk about, an eternal mindset, having an eternal mindset. If you're taking notes, the message title is this, live well and finish strong, live well and finish strong. We're going to begin in Genesis 21, Genesis 21, beginning in verse 33, it says this, that Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba. And there he called on the name of the Lord. And here's what it adds to that. He called on the name of the Lord. And here's the name he called upon the eternal God. In Hebrew, it's El Olam. El Olam, which can be translated eternal God or everlasting God. Here's the idea. God is everlasting, not just that he lives forever, but he's also eternal in that God is the only uncreated cause of all creation. God is uncreated. That is everything in life. We know just by existence that everything in life has a cause and an effect. It has a beginning and it has an end. The only thing in, in existence that never had a beginning is God himself. God was without beginning, and he's also without end. That's what this word eternal means. And why that's important is not only to describe the nature of God, who, who never had a starting point and will never have an ending point, but also that God has created you and I for eternity. You're unique in all of creation. Just tell your neighbor, you're unique. Some of you said that with a little bit of a, a point to it. You're You're unique. Yeah, you're unique. Listen, uh, <laughs> I just confirmed what you knew all along. Uh, but here's why you're unique. You're unique because you're created in the image of God. Of all the things that God made in all the heavens and the earth, the only thing that God made in his image was man. The only thing that God made in his image of all the fish and the birds and the animals and all the trees and the plants and the stars and the heavens and the galaxies and all the things, as amazing as creation is, there's only one thing uniquely created in the image of God, and it's mankind. But not only that, not only has God made you in his image, but here's what I believe part of being made in his image looks like. In Genesis, it says that God formed the dust of the earth and he breathed into man. God got face to face in the dirt and he created. He, he made everything else with a word, but he gets personal. 
when he made us. He gets close and he face to face and he breathed into man. He breathed into Adam, the first man. He breathed into him the breath of life. And here's what it says. Man became a living soul. See, sometimes in life we think that we are living a natural physical existence, but you are not a physical being having a temporary spiritual experience. Here's what the Bible tells us. You are a spiritual being having a temporary physical experience. This life is short. This life is incredibly short. But on the inside of you, God has created the real you is not just the person that you see in the mirror. It's the part of you that will live forever. God has created you for eternity. He's put his life on the inside of us. God is a God who is eternal. He's uncreated. Everything else is made, has a beginning and end, but God has no beginning, he has no end. Exodus 3.15 says that God said to Moses, generations later from Abraham, here's what he says, I am the Lord, tell the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. When God's introducing himself to Israel, he says, here's who I am. I'm the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What does that tell us? It tells us that God is a generational God. If you could just see things for a moment, as best as we can try to wrap our brains around from God's perspective, God is outside of the time that he's made. And God looks at eternity. He looks at, he looks at his creation and he looks at the beginning of our life. He looks at the end of our natural life. He looks at everything in between. He looks at the generations that will come after. And God is a generational God. God is concerned about your life and mine, but he's also concerned about every generation that's gonna come after. And he's also the God of every generation that came before. He's the eternal God. And He reminds Moses of that. He says, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We'll break that down in just a moment in greater detail. But I love what Psalm 90 says to illustrate what I'm trying to communicate right now is here's a prayer of Moses who got this message from God as God began to reveal himself as a generational God. Moses wrote this in Psalm 90. He says, Lord, you have been the dwelling place, our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were even brought forth or you had even formed the earth and the world around us, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn man to destruction and say, return, O children of men, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past and like a watch in the night. The days of our lives are 70 years, and if by reason of strength they're 80 years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off, and we fly away. He's describing the shortness of life on earth. Who knows the power of your anger, for as the fear of you, so is your wrath. So teach us. Here's the, here, in light of everything that Moses has just said, he brings us to verse 12. So teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. I know when we're young, it's easy to feel like we'll live forever. <laughs> And the older we get, the more we feel like the clock's ticking. (laughs) Well, there's a reason for that. But but I I believe here's what the Bible tells us. Wisdom is recognizing that we have a limited span of time. We have a limited window on planet Earth to live for and discover the purpose for which we've been made. And we're put on earth for a purpose. But not only that, but God has put something on the inside of us that will never be satisfied in this temporary world in existence. 
Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that God has made everything beautiful in its season and in its time. There's seasons of life. There's seasons of, 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 of purpose. There's seasons of growth, of preparation. There's seasons, in Ecclesiastes, he says there's times for war, times for peace. A time to live, a time to die. He describes all of these different seasons of life. But then he says this in verse 11, he's also put eternity in our hearts. So what does that mean? That not only will you live forever, but here's what more importantly we have to recognize is that what happens in this temporary life has an effect on eternity and we were not created for this world, we were created for something forever. C.S. Lewis said it this way, if I find in myself, you know, if, I, if, I'm, if I'm hungry, there's, the reason I'm hungry is because there's food to satisfy that hunger. My body's letting me know I need to eat. Some of you, that's about to kick in in about 25 minutes. So I'm like, it's already kicked in, too late, Pastor. Um, and, and here's what happens is we have, we're thirsty because there's something to satisfy that thirst. Well, there's a hunger on the inside of you, a spiritual desire that nothing in this world can satisfy. And C.S. Lewis said that if I find in myself that kind of desire, it means I wasn't made for this world, I was made for another world. And that's important to recognize that you are made for eternity. And, and, and part of my calling as a pastor and the calling of the church is to remind people that we are created for eternity. And we point people to Jesus, the only source of life that can fill us. The reason why temporary things will not satisfy is because no matter how much you get or how much you accumulate or how many accolades or how many affirmations from others, there's always gonna be a void until God fills it. It's because you were made for eternity. The Bible tells us that eternity is a reality. Heaven is real, hell is real. Hell wasn't made for you, by the way. Hell was made for the devil and his angels. And God has made a way for us to enter into heaven through Jesus, only through Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus, because our sin brought death. From the beginning, God created man and God gave him life, but from the very beginning of the fall of man, sin entered into the world because we chose another way than God's way. And that sin brought spiritual death and separation. If you don't know what death isn't just the end of your natural physical body's existence, but death is actually separation. Just like we're, when we physically die, we're separated from our loved ones on earth, there's something that happens when we spiritually die because of sin. We are separated from the life of God. God loved you so much that he sent Jesus to bridge that gap. We know that. That's the good news of Jesus. But I, I, I think sometimes we live short-sighted. I know I do. I get preoccupied with what's right in front of me and forget about eternity. Hebrews 9.27 says, as it is appointed for men once to die, after this the judgment. So that verse tells me that, you know, we don't get a do-over. I don't come back as a little butterfly. <laughs> we have one life to live. Now, if I only have one life to live and after that the judgment, what's the judgment? The judgment is for a believer, judgment is for reward. Uh, as an unbeliever, somebody alienated from the life of God, God allows me, if I've chosen my entire life to live without God, God will let me have forever what I've chosen. Not because God loves that or wants that. In fact, God wants you to know him and spend forever with him in heaven. That's why he wanted that so bad he sent Jesus to rescue us. But we often don't live in light of eternity. Luke chapter 12 tells us a great story a parable of what happens when we live for just now only. The one from the crowd came to Jesus and said, teacher, will you tell me 
Tell my brother, excuse me, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So if you think your family's the first one to fight over an inheritance after someone died, it's been happening for a long time. Can I just say, figure stuff out before you leave planet Earth so your family's not fighting over it? And if, okay, I, I, can I just... <laughs> It's tragic. I've seen this in my own extended family. I've seen this in many lives when we, we are willing to destroy relationships over stuff. And here's why I think that is. Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus said, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take heed, beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Then he spoke a parable to them, and here's what he said. The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully, and he thought within himself, what shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I'll do this. I'll pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store all my crops and all my goods, and I will say to my soul, soul, you've got a lot of stuff. <laughs> but God said to him, verse 20, fool, this night your soul will be required of you, then whose will these things be which you provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. So, so here's the point of the parable. Jesus is saying, listen, so many times we live for now instead of living in light of eternity. Is what you're storing up now gonna show up in heaven? Do you know there's actually only one thing we can take with us to heaven and it's the people that we've reached for Jesus? That's it. Now, now, we should leave an inheritance for our children. In fact, the Bible actually says a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. So that's, that's important. That's biblical. We should think generationally. But, but I, I asked my wife, can you bring that up real quick? Um, somebody was wondering why I had Monopoly on the front row. Thank you, dear. So, so my, my kids, um, last time I shared this, this illustration, I used Sorry, but thankfully my kids have upgraded because Sorry is the worst game ever created. Um, <laughs> Sorry requires no skill, talent, or expertise whatsoever. Uh, Monopoly is a little bit better. The only problem is, I think Monopoly well illustrates the feeling of eternity because it never ends. <laughs> and no matter how many hotels you build, and no matter how many houses, and no matter how much somebody with that stinking little dog figurine comes across your property and doesn't pay rent, I, I feel like I have to work through some issues. No matter how many times, at the end of the game, do you know what happens? I've got this tape because it's about to explode. Uh, do you know what happens? Have you ever had a fight with somebody in the middle of a game? Like, I, I trash talk. Anybody else trash talk while you're playing board games? Okay, so I have to be careful because trash talking is not biblical or uplifting or edifying, and yet I can trash talk when I'm playing game. But here's what I found. No matter how intense the game, no matter how much I win or lose in the game, at the end of the game, everything, all the pieces go back in the box. And at the end of my life and at the end of your life, everything temporary and short-term goes back in a box. I know, this is depressing, isn't it? There's, there's good news in a minute. I'm gonna tell you how to live well and finish strong. But here's what I want you to understand. It all does go back in the box. That's why, why would I stay hurt over something short-term when it's going back in the box? Why would I fight over something temporary? Why would I live for something temporary when it's all going back in the box? What if I lived my life to invest in something that mattered for eternity? What if I chose to forgive because maybe forgiving was gonna be the bridge to somebody else seeing Jesus? 
What if in, in spite of temporary setbacks, I recognized there was an eternal purpose that God was working in my life and future? What if we live for eternity instead of something temporary and short-term? It all goes back at the end of the day, back in the box. Everything. Here's, here's the analogy that the Bible uses. Here's the analogy. It uses the analogy of a race. And Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 9.24, Don't you know that everyone who runs in a race all runs, but only one receives the prize? So in light of that, what should you do? Run in such a way that you should win that you should obtain the prize. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate or disciplined or serious about it in all things. And they do it for a perishable crown. Right now, people are training for the next Olympics and there's things they won't eat. There's decisions they won't uh, make with their time. There's certain things they're doing because they're training for a prize. They won't settle for something short-term because there's a prize that many of them have been working for their entire lives. And Paul says, if they're that serious about something perishable, we're actually doing this for something imperishable. He says, therefore I run, not with uncertainty. I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my own body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have told others or preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. In other words, here's the point. He says, life is a race worth running and running well. Run to win, run to finish. A race is about how you start, how you keep up the pace, and how you finish. All three stages are needed to successfully complete the race. And in your life and mine, all of us have seasons where we're starting out. We all have seasons where we're in the middle, where we're keeping pace. And all of us have seasons where we're on the final leg, we're on the last lap, and it's not time to quit. It's not time to stumble. We need to keep our eye on the prize, keep it on the finish line. Paul would use this analogy throughout the New Testament to remind us of the seriousness of the race that's set before us. And I wanna go back to what God said to Moses. He says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And yes, he's speaking of being a generational God, but you know what he also, I believe, lets us know? He's the God of every season. When you're Abraham and you're in the season of life of Abraham, he's your God. When you're in the season of life of Isaac and you're in the middle and you're running with, race, with purpose and you've been doing this for a while, but you're not quite there yet, he's your God. And when you're just getting started and you're just setting on the, on the starting blocks, ready, set, go. At that moment, when you're, when you're Jacob, he's the God of Jacob. He's the God of Isaac, and he's the God of Abraham. And I want to look at, I've got three points for you today from these three men, from these three stories, because I believe that God wants us to start well, he wants us to run well, and he wants us to finish well. Number one is Jacob. We can start well. In life, there's a season, and it is only a season, where we're beginning. And how we begin matters in the end. How we begin. Now, I don't know about you, I didn't begin everything the right way. I'm thankful for Jesus. Anybody else? I'm thankful for redemption. I'm thankful for the goodness of God that he met me in my brokenness, in my failure, in my stumbling. Even when I stumbled out the gate and made a mess of things, God rescued me and saved me and restored me. But even there, I want to remind you 
that God restores us and forgives us and helps us, but we still, how we start has an impact on how we finish. And let's just be honest, when we're starting our race in life, we're not thinking about the end many times. We're just ready to go. We're ready to get away from our parents. We're ready to get out and experience life. We're ready to get out and begin. We're ready to start our career. We're ready to start the adventure. And, and, and we're jumping into a season of life where we're starting out. We're ready to get married. We're ready to get a relationship. And, and we're, we're moving out. And we're just thinking, I'm ready to start. But how you start will have long-term impact. How you begin establishes a foundation that can build a future that can have a legacy that can impact eternity. How you start matters. And if you're in that season of life right now, you're in that Jacob season, you're in a season of preparation. And that's not just before we're 18, that's in our younger years when we're preparing, whether in school, preparing for our career, preparing for our calling. Here's what I know, especially with things like social media, we're constantly comparing ourselves with others and we feel like we're behind. And that's not a new thing with social media, it's just been magnified. We feel like we're behind because other people started out at a different pace and we think, oh, I'm behind, I'm not where they're at. And I wanna challenge you today, if you're starting your race or you're in the first lap of your race, don't look at the other runners. Don't look at the others that are beside you. In fact, no runner has ever been successful comparing or looking at the crowd or looking at the other runners. The only way to be successful in a run is to have your eye on the finish line and to run your race well, not run somebody else's race. In fact, I had a, a season where I was going through, I was beginning something and it was hard, it was difficult and it was tough and, and, and I had a friend of mine who was starting something very similar and, and I'm, I'm, I, I, because of social media, I'm seeing what's going on and on the surface, it looked like everything was easy and I know that's not the case. And I remember thinking, oh man, why is it so hard for me? You ever felt like that? And I literally had the Holy Spirit speak to me, run your race. Maybe today your eyes are on another runner instead of on the race that God set before you. This season of life is about preparation for your future. Do you know God never wastes a prepared vessel? So many times we feel like, why am I doing all this? Why am I setting my life apart? Why am I making sacrifices? Why am I saying no to things other people are saying yes to? Well, God never wastes a prepared vessel. I love the story of Moses. In fact, Moses grows up schooled in the education of the Egyptians and then he spends the next 80 years as a shepherd. Next 40 years, actually, but, but, but he spends the next 40 years. So he's educated in that, like he goes to the University of, they didn't have Cairo yet, whatever the city was. And, and, and he's raised, well, say Giza. He went to the University of Giza. He is, he is at the top echelons of, of education. I know that because there's what Acts 7, verse 22 says, Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. Do you know what Moses says 40 years later? Um, God, I can't speak for you because I have a problem. <laughs> I can't talk no good. Well, in Acts, it said that he was mighty in speech, and in, but, but here's what happens. God prepares him and then takes him through a season where he's not able to use that preparation. Would God waste that? No, actually, God wouldn't waste it. In fact, Moses... Years later, God would use him to write the first five books of the Old Testament, the Torah. God would use his preparation to fulfill God's purpose. 
God's way. And God never wastes any season of our life when we give it to him. He wastes no gifts. He wastes no time. He wastes no experiences. He wastes nothing when we give it to God. God is forming a purpose in your life that's greater than you. God's calling you and preparing you, and maybe that's where you're at right now. Number two is that God's called us into Isaac seasons. And Isaac seasons are what happen when you're in the middle of your race. You start out, and man, you feel like you got forever. And then in the Isaac season, here's the danger. You've had a little bit of success. You know, when you, when you were Jacob, you were broke. When you were Isaac, you had a little bit more success in your career. You had a little bit more uh, ahead. You've maybe gotten married. You've got, some, so you've got kids. You've got some things around you. And, and yet, here's the danger in the middle. It's in that season of life, we, we often call it a midlife crisis. And you know what's funny is midlife, the midlife crisis seems to happen earlier and earlier. I know 30-year-olds are having midlife crisis. And I don't think it's inevitable that you have to have a midlife crisis, but here's what I think the midlife crisis often is. It's that season of being an Isaac where you're, the, the distance between what you expected to happen and what's actually happened, there's a gap. A gap of disappointment. And it's in that season in the middle where you've got the routine of life. Clocking in, clocking out. Showing up for your spouse, showing up for your kids, day in, day out. And it's actually, if I can tell you, because I've been in ministry 20 years, and there's a lot of people who blow their life up in the middle, and it's because of boredom. Not because any of those things are bad, but it's actually the thing where we get to a place where we get stuck in the routine, and we think what we need is a different, different career, even a different relationship. And we think something else the routine, we become so preoccupied with the routine and we become, here's what happens. In the middle, we lose our orientation on what really matters. Um, I had a friend of mine who was a jet pilot back in Florida and that's what he did professionally. And when you learn to fly, you of course learn you know, the way the airplane operates. You learn how to move, how to take off, how to land, all that. You gotta get those two things right. But, but one of the most difficult steps of learning to fly and one of the most intensive processes in that is getting instrument rated. And the reason you have to be instrument rated when you get your pilot's license is because if, you're not in, if you can't read the instruments in front of you, you'll make decisions based on feeling in the moment or what you see in front of you that will often be wrong. So they train you and teach you to fly off your instruments instead of, because here's what happens. You get into a storm, you can't see what's in front of you. It's dark. A lot of people have crashed their plane because they thought up was down and down was up. And they went off of a feeling instead of what their instruments told them. And I'm just telling you that illustration because in the middle, it's when life gets either in routine or even storms start to come and we lose our bearing on what really matters. And it's in this season of life, when you're in Isaac, you've got to be grounded and know how to read your instruments. You've got to know what's true. Because we make decisions on feeling instead of what's true. All the time. 
and a pilot who goes off of their feeling instead of what the instrument is telling them in front of them will often make a mistake because our own judgment, it's in the middle that we make decisions that have long-term consequences, but they're based on temporary information. The last season is the season of Abraham. You're on the last leg of your race, but here's the temptation to feel like you're finished. Or feel like it's time to coast. I mean, honestly, you worked hard. You deserve it. But can I just tell you, even though you're finishing, you're not finished. Even though you're finishing, you're not finished. In fact, I love the story of Abraham that I began with. Abraham did what? He planted a tree. He said, God, you're eternal. There's a Greek proverb that says, society becomes great when old men plant trees they'll never sit under the shade of. They plant trees for future generations. Do you know what happens when we're in a season of life where we're in an Abraham season, we're meant to leave a legacy and our investment is far from over. We're meant to prepare. And and here's what happens. Sometimes the older we get, the more cynical we can get. None of you, second service. We can get cynical. We can become hardened. I've seen this all the time. People come... And we, we, we get to a place in life where we go, I can say anything, I deserve it. Well, here's what I wanna challenge you. If you feel that way, don't tear down your heritage in the process. You have a calling and a purpose in this season of life to leave the door open for the next generation. To hold the door open. I'm teaching my boys that. I'm teaching them how to, when you, when you walk into a place and someone's behind you, stop and hold the door open for them. Well, we need to do the same for generations that are gonna come after us. And I know Jesus can come back at any moment. He can come back before the end of my message. But here's what I want you to understand. As the church, we need to think generationally because God is after generations that may come that we may never see. God is after people I'm glad for those that held the door open for me. And I want to be able to do the same for others. Do you know why? I'm I'm 39 this year. I'm going to be turning 40 soon. So I'm in an Isaac season of my life. But I'm already thinking, what is is it going to look like at the end? Because you know, everybody, every one of us is living in a house that somebody else will one day live in. I know, this is depressing. It doesn't have to be, though. We're all driving a car that somebody else one day is going to have. We're all in a job that one day somebody else is going to carry forward. We're all living in a place and a time and a purpose that one day somebody else is going to have to. We're all interim. Even if we're here for 30 years. We're all here on the, because here's why we have to understand this. We need to make decisions today that will matter then. The habits you develop today will matter then. The foundation you build in your Jacob season will still matter when you're in your Abraham season. The decision to get in the word now, pray now, see God, grow close to God now will affect your end of your race. I don't wanna just be burning for a moment. I wanna be burning in the end. I want to love God and people more at the end of my life than I do now. I love the story of Caleb, who's in his Abraham season of life. Caleb is 80 years old, and he's had to deal with 40 years of somebody else's dumb decision. 
He has. He comes back and he comes to the promised land and he goes up to, to Joshua and he says, hey, Joshua, 40 years ago, Moses told me this mountain over here, that's mine. It's got my name on it. Well, here I am 40 years later and you may think I'm done. You may think I've gone out and I'm on a golfing fishing trip for the rest of my existence. <laughs> Do you know what he says? No, I got a mountain still in me. I'm 80 years, but I still got a word. I've still got a promise. I just want to call some Abrahams in the house, some men and women that feel like you're on your last leg, but you're not finished. You've got something that somebody else needs. You've got a calling and a purpose. You've got a mountain with your name on it. You need to say what Caleb said. God, give me my mountain. This mountain belongs to me. And Caleb did what younger generations would not and could not do because he refused to give up on his mountain. I'm gonna leave you with this passage. And this is the words of the Apostle Paul that I believe summarize and describe what it looks like to finish well. God's called us to live well. What does it mean to live well? Well, it means that we, we, we wring out of the life God gave us everything that he's called us to. 2 Timothy 4. Have you ever rented a car and prepaid for the gas? Yeah, one person. Thank you for humoring me. Um, I, I, I've, I've stopped doing that. I stopped prepaying for the gas. Now I just fill it up at the last minute. But, but when you prepay for the gas, <laughs> do you know why I stopped doing that? Because I feel like I have to burn that thing to empty before I turn the car back in. Because I paid for this gas. I, I got to use it up. And, and here's what Paul says in 2 Timothy 4, 5. He says to his spiritual son, Timothy, who's in his... Jacob, or even Isaac's season of life. And here's what he says, but you be watchful. Be careful, be aware, be, be on alert in all things. So don't just go through life passively. Don't just go through life just checking off another day. Live on purpose, be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. What's Paul doing? Paul's investing in the next generation. He's saying, Timothy, I've got some final words for you. Second Timothy is actually the last thing that Paul would write that we have record of. But, but here's what he says. You be watchful. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill what you've been given to do. He's holding the door open. He's not just making Timothy start at ground level. But he's saying, I'm making an investment in you so that my ceiling becomes your floor. Fulfill your purpose. I'm holding the door. But then he's not done. He goes on, verse 6. He says, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure is at hand. Paul, not long after this, would be beheaded for his faith in Christ by the emperor Nero. But Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, who built up the church throughout the known world at that time, probably more, one of the most effective Christians who's ever lived on planet Earth. Here's what he said at the end of his race. And here's what I believe it looks like to finish well. He says, I'm being poured out. He says, I, I poured it all out. I've, not, I've left nothing on the table. <laughs> There's two choices. You can, you can finish your race empty or you can finish your race emptied. What does it mean to be emptied? It means to pour out every last drop of what God has invested and poured into you. 
Now, some of us are pouring out, but, but I love what he says. I'm poured out as a drink offering. It's an act of worship. In other words, Paul's saying what I invested my life in is to glorify the God who bought me, who saved me, who loved me, who rescued me from being a cynical, religious, self-righteous person. And he saved me. And he used my broken life and he redeemed my story and made me a builder of his church. As I'm poured out, I poured everything out. I wanna ask you, what do you got in your cup? What are you gonna invest your life in? What are you gonna pour out your life into? And Paul pours it all out and he does it for something that matters for eternity. Do we empty ourselves but for the wrong pursuit? I don't want to show up with half a cup full to heaven and find out there was a whole lot more that I could have poured out. He says, I fought the good fight. I finished the race and I've kept the faith. Finally, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge will give me on that day. And not just to me only, but to all who loved his appearing. What, what's Paul telling us? He says, I've held on to what really matters and I kept my eye on the prize. But he, verse 11, uh, only Luke is with me. He's a doctor, physician. He says, Luke's with me. Can you go get Mark and bring him with you? For he's useful to me for ministry. This is what I'm talking about when I say that you don't have to get more cynical as you get older. If you know Paul's story, Paul did not like Mark early on. Mark was a kid who gave up when things got tough. He wrote him off. Paul was that kind of guy. He's like, I'm done. I'm done with you. In fact, it was that serious that Paul and Barnabas, who were like joined at the hip, separated for a season, went their separate ways. But at the end of, here's why I know Paul got soft in a good way. At the end, he says, hey, remember that Mark guy? The one I wrote off when he was younger? bring him to me. He's useful for ministry. In other words, I used to write him off, but no longer do I. I'm moving forward. I've forgiven. I've released. I'm, come on, maybe that's what you need to do at the last leg of your race. By the way, it's the same thing you got to do at the beginning of your race too. Travel light. <laughs> Don't carry a lot of baggage with you. Here's the last verse. Bring the cloak that I left with Carpus Troas when you come. And I know these are just like little notes he gives, but they all tell such a great story. He says, and bring me the books, especially the parchments. Do you know why he's saying that? He's saying, I got, I got some stuff I want to write down. I got some stuff I want to read. I'm not done growing. I'm not done learning. I'm not done sharing. He's at the end and he says, I poured out everything. By the way, bring me some books. Do you know you can grow in every season of life? You're not done. I love, that's why some of the most impactful investments I've ever had in my life were by mentors who, they didn't have a big Instagram following. They had no cool points. Nobody knew who they were, at least outside the church. Man, they, they had been with God. They knew how to pray heaven down. They knew how to worship experience the things of God. I, got, I did whatever I could as a young person at my Jacob season to get around that. I said, I want to finish like you're finishing. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. I want to pray for you.
Can I just ask you what season you're in? Maybe you don't know. That's okay. This isn't, there's, notice I didn't give any ages except for Caleb. Well, because this isn't even just about ages. This is about your race and your purpose and your calling and where you're at in life. Maybe right now you're at a place in life where you're preparing for a future and you need to establish a foundation that matters for eternity. I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're in here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, the greatest foundation, the only one that lasts forever, the only one is the foundation of Jesus and a relationship with him. It's a foundation that provides for us a home in heaven. Forgiveness, real, lasting forgiveness, real freedom, real joy, real peace fills the void in your heart and mind that only God can fill because you were made for eternity. And our sins separated us from God, but Jesus so loved us. God so loved the world. Jesus laid his life down on a cross to take my sin and yours, to offer you life. If you're in here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you can begin one right now. Say, Brian, I need to build a foundation that lasts forever. Maybe you're a Christian and you've been far from God and you need to rededicate your life to Jesus. You've been pouring out your life, but it's been on the wrong altar. It's been for the wrong thing, been for something temporary. God wants you to enjoy your life. Yes, absolutely, 100%. He gave you this life to enjoy, to wring out every last drop. But you know what it all comes down to? What will last forever? Are you living with the end in mind? And if you need to rededicate your life to Jesus right now, I wanna give you that opportunity as well. If either of those are for you and you say, Brad, to me, Brian, I need a relationship with Jesus, I want you to lift your hand and I want to pray with you. Thank you. Anybody else? We trust this message encourages you in faith and in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about River City Church, find us on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co.